Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's listen to the power of disco. Welcome to Is This Shirt Slimming? Your musical wellness clinic experience. How are you, Christopher, this week? I'm very well, thank you, Philip, and thank you very much for asking. And how are you? <laughs> well, this is our second time through. I'm a bit annoyed with the recording software, but we'll make it through. Okay? Well, historically, this is our third attempt at this episode. Okay, look, I wanted to talk about um, some music here, and I wanted to talk about when I was 16 years old, as we seem to do a lot of in this program. <laughs> So, I was 16 years old when I first felt the fear of disco. Like most boys my age in the western suburbs, I was listening to the big three, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. There was plenty of other music as well, especially Australian, but disco wasn't on my radar. The sequins, the flares, the hairy chests, how did that relate to me? Ominously, my suburb was a forward command post of Greek culture. I had a buddy at school. He was of the Greek nation. I'd hang out with him and we would sometimes be graced by his older brother. Let's call him Sozos. Sozos felt that he should educate us young fellas in music. The needle hit the groove and the cover was passed reverently amongst us. Black people with afros and baggy caps. There were flares and wide brim shirts and there was the music. Insistent driving rhythms and that train whistle that spoke of the urban decay that was blighting the US, but barely believable in the sunny optimism of 70 suburban Sydney. The big brother, Sozos, left us with mouths wide open in fear as he dressed for the evening out. White flares, hairy chests sprouting through a satin shirt, open to the navel. With a look of disdain, he snapped the record off the turntable and returned it to his room in case we damaged his prize with our callow and gormless uselessness. BT Express, do it. What a great record. Oh, man, (laughs) you you play do it. I mean, you play the opening track, Express, uh, which is their second album, actually. I I love their first two albums, man. I really do. BT Express, it it was perfectly James Brown. And it was perfectly this beginning of disco, but there was so much James Brown. The way the, the two, what a wild lineup! Bass, of course, great singers. A drummer who hardly ever played the beat where you expected it. Uh, uh, two saxes and two guitarists. Someone, someone, someone would dub in some some keyboards, and there was a percussionist. Girl singer, great band. This was this was one of the, th- the those moments. I mean, there are still many moments in my life when I can still remember exactly where I was and the time and what it was like and the weather and everything when a needle hit the groove and there was a song which really changed my life. And this was one of those. Where were you when you heard uh, BT Express? Um, at um, Patricia something or other's party, birthday party. And, uh, you know, I, I was about one or two years younger than Patricia and uh, 
and they put this music on it, and I felt as though I had to get on the dance floor as well. It was just, but when I was younger, I had the same vibe. When someone, I was at a party, I was about twelve years old, and this track, I think I was twelve, and this track called "War" by Edwin Starr. And this room, this one little room in this party with all my older relatives all dancing this. And I decided I'm just going to get this chair. I'm just going to sit in this room in the corner. And then when the war came on, I had to hear it every time. They played about four times that night. And I remember hearing it. And that same, oh, man. And as soon as they played, the whole room would come to life. It was electric. Oh, he, he, he went on to record disco as well. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So um, th- th- we're talking about BT yes. Express, and this yes. album is BT Express Do yes. It, and it was uh, Brooklyn Trucking Express, I yes. believe. Yes, I didn't know that. Thank you for Part that. of um, the first time I was really exposed in the face with funk music, because this was, this was pre-disco, yeah, wasn't this it? Yeah, is, this is funk. I, I've, I've got all those uh, things on my drive, and, and I've got the records. My sister bought that album, the first one, first, and I, I just... Was uh, I was intrigued? I didn't. Th- here's how weird I was. I didn't know that these things actually existed on albums. I thought they were just one tracks. Of and like, how can you have a disco? How could you have a disco record? I mean, we we're rock guys. Disco record? You only got, it's a dance record. What else can you do apart from your hit single? Because this is how, we had no connection whatsoever with this genre in Australia. And so you, yeah, that's right. And there were there were, there were songs that went for twenty, 20 minutes, oh, and there was songs Gloria Gaynor. That was the first disco record I heard at a mate's play. I remember now when I was at high school, he says, come around and hear this thing. And we were the older guys at high school, so go around to some guy's place at lunchtime. You're allowed to do that at my school. And so he put this record on. I said, man, what's that? He said, just 20-minute track. I said, well, what's the next track? He says, are you hearing it? Like the song hasn't stopped. <laughs> <laughs> it just continued on. I mean, it was a mind-blowing yeah, it's experience, amazing, wasn't yeah. it? And he said he'd been to a disco <laughs> earlier that month, and he decided to buy that record. And of course, the song was on the radio. Um, uh, was Gloria Gaynor's hit, whatever it was. And <laughs> it's just, I-, I will oh, survive, perhaps. probably, probably. <laughs> and uh, and then I remember a guy coming up to us at school, a young, uh, I think a year behind us at school, saying. I heard you guys are into disco. I just want you to know that I'm into disco too. And it was a secret. <laughs> it was a secret language of these guys who decided, not only do we like Thorpey live at Sunbury, but we'll go to discos. <laughs> <laughs> Thorpey live at Sunbury. Now, they are words to uh, conjure with. Now, look, we should explain to the listener that um, due to copyright regulations, we have a music program where we actually can't play any music. But in the background, in our headphones, we're listening to music. We're listening to BT Express at the moment. We're listening to "Do It Till You're Satisfied." Now, to a sixteen, a white boy, white bread, sixteen-year-old, <laughs> "Do It Till You're Satisfied" really didn't make a lot of sense to didn't me. Make any sense? But um, to the Greeks, the Greeks, it really meant something. There was something about it. If you look, disco music and funk music of those days, it was the music that the black guys. The Wogs, the Italians and the Greeks, the Mediterraneans and the gays, they all got dressed up and they'd all go, they'd all get dressed up to show off and they go down to a club and show off their moves as well. Now it was the one music that the white rock guys just didn't get because they didn't get dressed up for their music. They basically, uh, 
took off their work clothes and put on a, another shirt that was on the ground and uh, go down to the pub and get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving their Amco jeans yeah, on. Yeah, they go down to the Thirlmere pub to hear, to hear someone uh, crack his voice over, you know, Led Zeppelin cover band, you know, on the final note. Uh, that was that was their idea of a night out. <laughs> Whereas in, in the United States there was this music which had been developing for yes. many years and uh, especially from... Uh, James Brown, who was, uh, you know, the progenitor of this music, who he basically said that um, he just changed the upbeat to the downbeat. Yep. Can you tell us what was happening musically uh, there? there? Was it because you are apparently a musician. <laughs> it's been said, and <laughs> and uh, yeah. So what was happening was there was a Motown scene, which was the black music of the world at the time, was Motown, and there was a four to the floor sound to Motown, which was the the snare, which is the middle, the, the cracking sound, which you can hear on all of their songs. The snares uh, would be playing all four beats. Duck, 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 and duck, and they had this. They had this fill that they'd do at the beginning of a song. And the, the beat in between the four dak, 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 dak was the bass drum. So the bass drum wasn't playing on the beat. And you'd have the dak, 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 which is the sound of Motown. If you learn that beat, there's about 80 songs you can play. Now, what happened with James was he slowed it down a little bit and he started to play. He was an R&B singer. He started to play more on the one. He would make sure that the first beat of the bar was the one everyone had to agree on. And then in between the one and the next one, which would recur every four beats, the band... So this is uh, one, two, three, four, one. Go, two, three, four. We're listening to the Sex Machine at the moment, which is a great funk track. And um, this is available on our Spotify playlist. If you go to slimmingly.strikingly.com, you will find... This uh, playlist and um, uh, some videos, and actually I should sort of point out as well that we're going to be putting that great um, Italian recording from the early 70s of James Brown and the band playing um, his whole set from from that stage. And it was one of the great recordings because it was Rai Television, it was the public public broadcaster of Italy, all these well-dressed Italians who were so excited that this (laughs) James was on stage and it's a great video, so you can have a look at it there. Anyway, sorry, back to you. That's okay, Phil. Could I have that uh, that contact uh, detail again, please? Slimmingly.strikingly.com. Oh, see, that's I needed you for that. It's it's my English is my second language, as you probably know. Yeah. So we were we? Yeah. We're so talking about James, James Brown, make the sure one. James Brown, the one. And so he was all about the one. So the beginning of Sex Machine, uh, most records start off with that 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 get I don't. So you hit the one. And I can talk while I'm playing this thing in the background because as long as you've got the one happening, it sounds like James Brown is playing this song. Exactly. One. That's it. So what But what James would do, he'd pick it up. He'd decorate the one. He'd anticipate the one. So it's one, two, one, two, three, four. Da, 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 da. So they'd launch into this one beat. So everyone knew that there was something going on. It was a James Brown sound. It changed the whole sound of funk. Guys, there were guys like Rasputin Stash where the one was so huge. They'd actually slow the tempo down so the one was bigger, as if it wasn't big enough, <laughs> as if it wasn't big enough. What do you call? What do you think is the real difference between disco and? Sorry, let's do the right way around. Between funk and disco, what's the main? Oh well, the big di- the, the, the the big difference, of course, is that uh, disco is strings and funk is horns. <laughs> and um, 
I've got this theory about um, the strings is that they just wanted to bring the strings. I mean, people thought at the time thought that strings was making it too light, too romantic. But um, I think these guys were just so good at what they were doing. They were so um, such good musicians that they were just limited by the idea that. Um, yeah, I mean, look at what Isaac Hayes was doing when he was uh, doing the music. He was the one that brought in the strings, uh, you know, the funkiest dude of all. Oh, and he was the one that brought in the strings as well. And I think it was just because they, they were so good with music that they just, you know, once if you're just doing the bass, the drums, the guitars, the um, the horns, where else do you go? But to the orchestra. To the orchestra. Yeah, that, I, think a lot, I think some of that, and I do truly, I'm starting to study this period called, um, which was post-exotica, which was the most wonderful music that came out of Hollywood. It was the early world music where they tried to imagine that they were in this different part of the world. So you had Eva's, Eva's, Im, Ema Sumac, Eva Sumac, Ema Sumac, Ema Sumac. Yeah, yeah, she was a singer that that uh, signified or, or was the the sound of exotic. There was a lot of bands. Surf music was part of it as well. But these Hollywood uh, composers had to imagine what it was like being in ancient Rome, <laughs> being in Babylon, um, being being in Africa. They'd never travelled. They'd never heard this music. They saw pictures. They saw documentaries. So they created this music, and a lot of it was influenced by the jazz music, a little bits of world music, which we call it world music this uh this stuff that that even folkways didn't exist in those days and they spent a lot of money making these sounds in the studio which they, they were beautiful at making it this exotica which was the sound of strings and they'd spent so much money making the strings sound fantastic so they understood how that genre worked they understood how to make these things sound bigger than ben-hur and uh, there's some there's some drama there's some there's a suspension of reality when you start adding strings to, to an ordinary funky groove and uh, yeah there's and I think that was a strong influence uh, through American music. It wasn't happening anywhere else in the world, but through American music, and eventually ended up ended up decorating the disco sound. You couldn't turn away from it. But disco basically was, I mean, some of the best disco sounds like from South America. It sounds like it's from Africa, but not from there. But it's heavily informed by that. Oh, and of course, there's Earth, Wind, and Fire. We're, we're, we're just uh, playing what Earth, a, Wind & Fire what, September at the moment. What a great... I mean, are these one of the great dance bands oh, of all time? Yeah. And uh, sadly, Morris White, their singer, passed away last year. Just a wonderful singer and a wonderful band and wonderful sense of humour these, uh, these people had. Yeah, that, that, I think that one of their albums, they listed the musicians on one of their... That middle period, where the, the most creative period, there was over 100 musicians. I think on either I Am or one of those records, 100 musicians passed through the recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the, the days when their studio was an open house and there were so many great musicians. I mean, you wanted a different, a slightly different sound, you'd get a different bass player in, you'd get a different uh, guitarist in. But look, I just wanted to talk about a bit of your bass history as well because um, I believe that uh, when you were first working out how to play music, I mean, I remember some of the first songs that I was working out was things like C.C. Ryder and um, some of your very basic seminal rock tracks. And uh, you were working out, yes, albums. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm highly amused by this. <laughs> I mean, we're talking prog rock, yes, <laughs> whole sides of an album and um, very complex music. And uh, 
Uh, I guess that was the difference between you and I. I was just this basic guy. <laughs> well, the yes came soon after working out uh, thick as a brick, unfortunately. Not to be uh, <laughs> outdone by journey to the centre of the earth. Oh, man. Oh, that, but I, I, stopped, I stopped working it out by that stage. I just started to let it wash over me because I was so. I, mean, I, I found that a lot of the stuff was so simple, but I couldn't understand how they made something so simple sound so. so so strong and not be wrong, you know. <laughs> but anyway, then, then there was a call of the bass. Look, Paul McCartney, I mean, you, you, can't play, you can't play bass without referring to Paul McCartney. And he was a massive Motown fan who was a heavy influence on a guy called Chris Squire, who him and John Anderson created this band called Yes. And I was intrigued by the odd time signatures and Yes being a Greek. We, we live in the odd time signature world. There's, it's either seven or four, you know. Yeah, that's enough of the jazz stuff, uh, Christo. Can, you know, the next set, we've got some dancing. You stick to a straight seven for me, please, mate. So, <laughs> Well, let's face it. The, uh, the Greeks uh, invented tragi-comedy. <laughs> it is. It will be Greek words. <laughs> and seven, eight is the tragi-comedy of, <laughs> of, of unusual of, beats. Of, of dance. Yes. <laughs> so I was learning these songs, and I had no trouble crossing over from four, four to three, four, seven, eight. all that stuff that, the, that Yes was doing. So, so it was very... Very appealing to my ears. It sounded like the British had finally understood what the Greeks had been doing, and uh, but they did it so well, you know. That they, they came from a different tradition. And then someone started playing me this funk. I think it was the Commodores or one of those bands. But also, it was just going around to discos and, and clubs in those days and hearing this huge funk with this big, mellow, chocolate dripping bass coming out of the speakers. And I don't know how they got this massive sound playing these records, and you just had to hear this bass. That was the main reason I was there. It was all just huge bass. Oh, and the girls, you know, but I was, I was, I was too scared to ask them how to dance because I didn't know the moves because I came from the eastern suburbs, working class. Now I heard a bouncing sound. Then Phil, is that? Uh, this is a period of checking. And what out. sound? There was a bouncing. No, no, we're just going into. We're just going to um, have a listen to. Um uh, play that funky music white boy segment oh, no. in this uh, journey through <laughs> funk and disco. And uh, a Scottish band, the average oh. white band. <laughs> now, let's face it, Scotland in the 70s was not the home of black music. It wasn't the home but of the hits. It was not the home of the Average hits. white band, what a band. We're listening to pick up the pieces. Incredible song. What a band. What a breakthrough track. And I still remember the Southern the Southern Cross Courier, I think it was the local paper. And back in the days when they used to actually have record reviews in your local paper, you just have a look at your local paper. You see if there's ever if there's ever going to be a review. It's usually about children theatre or someone who's got some sort of disease or a fundraiser. But back when I was going, when, when we were at, uh, during the disco period, they actually used to have record reviews. And this guy saying, I've got the average white band. It's real average music. I don't know what I think. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He was listening to Thorpey Live at Sunbury as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was all about Thorpey at Sunbury. Was, was Australia, Thorpey, the 70s, was, Thorpey was the There was no mate. other music. Hang on, didn't you? There was Thorpey and there was Daddy Cool. But the thing is about Australia. Sorry, we'll, we'll do another episode about Australian music. Let's not go there now because we're talking about funk and disco. But um, 
yeah. There was this period. We we're talking about the period in the 70s where also on our website, and I'll just say it again, slimmingly.strikingly.com, we'll have a Spotify playlist. Now, with Spotify, of course, you can listen to it. Um, if you're paying for it, you can listen to it in your player and follow us. Um, if not, just um, play it on the free version and endure the ads. But um, I'd highly recommend uh, the playlist that we've got for you here because there's the Black Exploitation album, which um, we talked about many years ago, which has got some great... Great songs and great stuff, and it's that early seventies um, funk of that period. And then we go into disco. I remember um, you giving me a copy of or another album of that period called. Am I Black Enough For You, which was uh, a great soul album, which is a precursor to the funk and the dance music, uh, the disco music we're listening to. Average White Band were picked up by Atlantic, and they went to America and went under the uh, direction of Arif Mardin, who uh, at that stage, they did, had no idea how their music that they were good at was uh, very informed by the racial climate of the days, the racist climate in America. So they were playing coloured music. They were playing what they what they used to call in the fifties coloured music, and they didn't realise that uh, there was there were there were basically you, you took sides when you played funk. Uh, they came from Scotland. What well, coloured music? You know, they were listening. You're listening to glam rock and uh, you know and, and uh, German rock music and you know a little bit craft work. We just hadn't even appeared yet. So this this is a, it was a strange crossover for them to to arrive in America and uh, find they were recording with Aretha, Aretha Franklin. They were doing their own records. As well, but became backing bands for famous acts, and they they had arrangements written for them that they played in a particular way. They were playing funk music as good as the black guys, and there was racism against them as well. And so it's, it was a, it was a strange it's, a, it's an odd period in history. Their their story is is very interesting, only from the contrast point of view. The, the culture and let's face thing. it, uh, Arif Martin and uh, Ahmed Erdogan of Atlantic Records. Who, you know, they were talking about Aretha Franklin and all the great bands. And Led Zeppelin as well, who are on Atlantic Records. We're talking about a couple of Turks. Yes, um, correct. (laughs) Who picked this up. (laughs) I won't tell that joke. I won't tell that joke. We we might tell it sometime. (laughs) One of my favourite jokes. Uh, Yeah, sorry, sorry guys. Uh, Look, if you really want to find (laughs) it, write to us. Uh. (laughs) Now, in the background here, this is off the Blaxploitation (laughs) CD as well. This is... Diodato also sprak, also sprak Zarathustra. What a oh. <laughs> oh. oh one one yeah that thing that thing would hypnotise me when it came on the radio. And someone I think one of the DJs uh, I think a late night guy played I think it was the ABC played the whole side. I think it's a is it a seven min, seventeen minute song or something? It, it goes forever. And played the whole thing, and I had no idea how groovy this was. And it was the who's who of the funk crossover, jazz crossover uh, personnel of American music on that and, track. Uh, and we were also talking oh, some of these Diodato albums. They're fantastic, aren't they? Um, but then there was also, oh, are, speaking of white and black and the difference and so forth, one of the great rock gods of the time was Jeff Beck, who um, <laughs> Jeff Beck, who... Uh, is up there with Eric Clapton and up there with uh, Jimmy Page and those rock gods of the 70s. Um, now, you heard yes. uh, a track on, uh, I think, Double J at the time, late at night, 
um, from an album called Blow by Blow. And Great. what was the yeah. what happened there? <laughs> yeah, the DJ back announcement saying, "Oh, there you go. There's uh, there's Jeff real uh, real disdainfully saying there's Jeff Beck's uh, disco crossover album." And I remember this track going, "This guy's great. Who's this? This is this Jeff Beck, that guy from from Truth with with uh, with uh, Rod his name? Rod, What's Rod, his name? Um, Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart." <laughs> What's Truth, his name, Rod Stewart, is, uh, the, the Rod train Stewart's collector? first album. Uh, <laughs> oh, just, uh, what know, a killer the, album. The singer brought yeah. in to um, be on Jeff Beck's album. But anyway, Jeff Beck <laughs> was the one who sort of uh, suddenly turned turned us all around at that time into what um, funk and yeah. uh, was happening yeah. with funk. And I'd also recommend, I'll try and remember to put this on the, the, on the blog as well, the video of Because um, We've Ended As Lovers, um, Tal Wilkenfeld, who's a Bondi girl, who I think is only yeah. 26 years old yes. now, or she's maybe 30. Probably Bondi, Great yeah. bass player, great bass yeah. player, who plays with Jeff Beck and plays yeah. with all these, these, uh, these people now. And Because uh, We've Ended As Lovers, yeah, she's, Stevie she's Wonder a massive song. talent. And yes. from Blow By Blow, and what a great funk rock album and Jeff Beck's beautiful guitar album. And who was the producer of that album? I don't know. Who was the producer? George Martin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I could be wrong. Sir George Martin. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Who sadly I could only be passed wrong. away last year as oh, well. Oh, man. Poor George. Yeah, he couldn't hear. He was attending clinics and talking about his music and he'd already gone deaf. That's another part of it. Before he passed away, he hardly had any hearing. Oh, that's sad. Oh, but um, and, and also just for people who may not know George Martin, Beatles, you know, a couple of bands like that. <laughs> yeah, because there were so many bands like <laughs> Had that. Had a bit of history in the music industry like us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor George. His, his son Giles. Well, I, I, I could talk about this stuff forever. The, you know, there's a Beatles movie that they made where they resurrected all the live tracks. There's there's a, a an album, a magazine called Mix Magazine, where I think they've got four full full articles on the creation of the music of that uh, that uh, last documentary that was made that, that was shown in the movies about them live at a, and the technology that was developed to make that that movie work took four years just for the music. To separate the music from the uh, from the sound of the crowds, magnificent, amazing movie, just for technology. Anyway, no, no, let's that's right. uh, not digress any further. Digressions, plenty more episodes to talk about music and what we love about music. But um, I just wanted to go back a little bit because yeah, yeah. I think we've both got these moments where we first remember the needle hitting the groove of particular recordings. You know, like for BT Express, I can remember exactly. I can visualise now where I was at the um, oh, yeah. at my friend's yeah, place yeah. and it going on onto the turntable. And yeah. there's there's plenty of those moments. And um, I think it was at that time for you where um, there were certain songs that changed your life as well when the needle hit the groove. Yeah, and that was uh, there was stuff that was being played. I remember a band called ADC that had this seven or eight minute long track uh, that was that started quoting. They were basically an offshoot of one of the P Funk bands, and they were quoting nursery rhymes. And I remember a bunch of us guys. There was one guy who was a particular bass player called Paul Kelly, who I really love his playing. It was a guy I went to school with, not the composer from Melbourne, Paul Kelly, the Scottish soccer player who moved to Australia. He was a, a bass aficionado too. Had one of the first precision bases and we went to we were old enough now to go to these places on our own and they were playing this whole side of a, a Commodore's album and we would just sit there and listen to this amazing this this suite that this Motown band had created but the this 
I've, I start to forget now which were the first tracks I heard of, of disco and funk, but it's the it was just the it was the feeling of the room that used to freak me out. It's like this is a place to be. Everything seemed so right, you know, the the lights, the the drinks, where the bar was, the decor, the type of music that was being played. For me, the, the strange part of it was when so, I went to a disco one night and in, in the cross, and they were playing this this music that no one got up to dance to for ages. <laughs> I went up to the guy and said, "Mate, I don't know what this music is." I, I, what is it? You know, in a really nice way, because I wanted to tell him to get it off. And he said, oh, this is a new music from Germany. It's been scientifically designed to fill the dance floor. And, like, we've got an empty dance floor. In front of <laughs> those Germans. <laughs> <Those two>, they <laughs> really got, got right. everything worked yeah. out. And the track was Fly, Robin, Fly by Silver Convention. <laughs> and for me, that sort of heralded the end of dance music until... Until, <laughs> until this track by Dinah Ross, I'm coming out, and then Sister Sledge, and then Freak Out, and I thought, at last, there's a disco band, there's a funk band playing disco. For me, was the beginning. Sheik, Sheik were oh, doing that, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Sheik had finally brought all this disco back to funk, and I and I say that because uh, Niall is now doing a world tour, just talking about why he is significant in the music industry, and he is. <laughs> well, let's face it, Daft Punk. <laughs> oh, oh, da, da, oh, I think the list of stuff that he did. I think there's about twenty significant artists uh, that we would we, we we could recall, or we probably don't know about. Uh, but he goes through all of them and he explains how he played what he played and how it fitted in. Daft Punk tried to get him into the band to play an album. I think five albums or something. They finally got him on the last album, and they admitted to him all that all that um, sort of convoluted uh, synthesizer work that they were doing was them trying to imitate. Nile Rogers, <laughs> but now they've finally got Nile. They can relax. <laughs> and uh, and those Barry Manilow samples. Oh, Barry Manilow, who, <laughs> incidentally, if you didn't know, has just come out of the closet. How is he? Seventy two or seventy five or something ridiculous? So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he didn't want to disappoint his fans. I, mean, <laughs> I think most like of who didn't know. <laughs> well, I think he wanted to wait till his fans were dead. <laughs> <laughs> What a, that, that's a weird world, isn't oh, it? But um, <laughs> Daft Punk um, uh, went and sampled. What did they sample of uh, Barry's? Oh, it was it was actually only two bars of of a track, and uh, oh, now I've forgotten. You got me on the spot. Yeah, it's only two bars of of one of his tracks, and it's it's minuscule, but there's a lick in it, and uh, yeah, and so, you know some of the train spotters out there have got it. You can see them on YouTube. All the train spotters who've pulled all the samples out, and George Duke, of course, was heavily. Uh, Oh, George Duke, another another reason to listen to funk. Man, that guy was pure. That's that's one of the best best interpretations of disc. Of sorry, of um, gospel, jazz. Uh, the most the most difficult music on the planet all came through this one guy called George Duke, who ended up being a major arranger and um, and uh, performer in the in the R and B and disco scene. Um, he he literally, I think, it was at the the end of disco with tracks like "Let's Hear It for the Boy." It was all him. And uh, you know, and he was what Frank Zappa's favorite keyboard player, <laughs> and 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 with um, with um, Chic and their first album, the producer of their first album was a Frank Zappa freak, and he borrowed all the licks of a new Frank Zappa record that had come out while he was producing Chic and wrote all of the string parts based on these Frank Zappa licks of a dis. <laughs> Oh, it's just wonderful to hear the way music is put together, isn't it? <laughs> now I'm just uh, we're just listening here to a Marvin track. Oh, Marvin, yeah, this this track. And uh, I think uh, I think I can hear the one in this. Oh, you can hear one. Yeah, one. Well, it's actually every second one, isn't it? 
It's like an eight-bar phrase that hits back on the one. We're talking about uh, Got to Give It Up, which um, I believe um, just one of the um, Marvin Gaye's estate won a legal case against um, Robin Thicke about blurred lines. And as if you couldn't hear. <laughs> that, the news oh, articles. There's nothing me, new in music, is there? The news articles on, on them denying that it should that it had anything to do with that track. Where I thought it's the bigger, bigger comedy than the fact that it was patently obvious to the entire world. <laughs> oh, well, that was the age of Obama and Clinton. So I suppose you know, truth was uh, was being washed down the gutter in those days. <laughs> truth hurts. <laughs> George Orwell, you would have loved what was going on here. So. Well, I think we've been going for about half an hour now, haven't we? I think that's enough, Phil. I really, I, I do. I think we've spoken enough for uh, for another week. Um, I'm just going to finish off with another track, which I'm just going to see if you remember what this is. Is that San Francisco? The cops, uh, the the theme from the uh, show, the streets of San Francisco. No, but uh, it's, you're on the right track here. That's a black exploitation. It's not the guy with a million dollar blood, is it? <laughs> Have <laughs> no, a six million dollar man. Oh. I remember a joke from that day. They were talking from those days. Someone was talking about the six dollar man. He had a, a two dollar, a four dollar gold tooth and a two dollar haircut. He was the six dollar man. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> it reminds me of that was not was disco song, the Kmart wardrobe. So, <laughs> I, I don't know that track. I should know it. They just played a major lick off a TV show, but I, I don't know the track that you are playing. What is it? No, I'm going to to- I'm going to continue toying with You're you, Chris. Torturing me? No, I can't. <laughs> it sounds like black exploitation. It does. It's got that. Uh, it's a TV theme from it the seventies, and it's uh, by Quincy Jones, a little-known record producer, <sighs> an artist, and musician. He could barely had a, a hand in. I don't know about four or five decades of music. Yeah, he could barely put two orchestras together. That like, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Couldn't rub two orchestras together without Quincy being in between. <laughs> I, I can't remember, and I know. Oh, I, I can't remember. What is it, Phil? You're killing me. It's Ironside. Oh, you get out of here. Yeah, Ironside. Raymond thanks. Burr uh, in the wheelchair. Oh, Raymond uh, Burr, the voice, <laughs> who came out as gay. Uh, oh, look, <laughs> we've, got, we've got to stop talking before we, we, we just end up in this miasma of 60s and 70s popular culture. Oh. <laughs> look, it, it, look, none of this disco stuff would be, would be important. It's still around today, and that's the best part I love about disco. It died in America with that burning of the records they did down at the, the, some football field where everyone came down to this maniacal r- rock and roll DJ who decided that, that that he was losing his audience took all the records down to a football fields and set these bonfires. It must have been toxic in there, <laughs> vinyl and cardboard burning, and then and then the whole thing moved over, migrated to to Europe and stayed there and never died. And it was it was appearing. I mean, you got Vangelis, you got um, Giorgio Moroder. I mean, they were already doing it, but they never really stopped. And then eventually, I find, I, find, I remember you turning me onto this magnificent record of uh, the Playboy Mansion with Dimitri, the Greek guy from France, back to the Greeks. Uh, the Greek DJ from France who compiled... It's always back to the, the Greeks. Greeks. Well, you know, what can I say? Where the East meets West, you know. <laughs> you find the good ambiedas and Galataburico. So, the, um, so the, this, this, and, did, and through that through that connection you, you uh, gave to me, I think in the year 2000, it was about the year 2000, it was, we got this record after 2000, because I think it was the... Two, was it the 2000 that they were celebrating, this Playboy Mansion album? 
I think it was. I think so. Sometime like yeah. that. It was around about that period of yeah. time. Yeah, and I discovered through that connection all this music that was being played in France at a place called Respect. And, all, and I started buying their compilations. And through that, I discovered this group called Stardust, who were the guys who were Daft Punk later on, who never stopped making this dance music, which was borrowing from George Duke and, and Quincy Jones and, and Chic, of course. It hadn't stopped. And it just... It, oh, the French. It never stopped. And it came back. It came back. What a beautiful comeback. What a beautiful way to come back. And the Americans went crazy over it. This has been episode two of Is This Shirt Slimming? And um, please, write in. Ask us questions. We'd like to um, fulfill your musical needs in the best possible way. If in any place we've been in error, we apologise. Please send us... send us, And we'll talk... We'll, we'll talk we'll, Bring your letters and uh, any comments that we think are, are useful or, or any mistakes that we've made, we'll bring them up on the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and if we don't bring it up on the next one, we'll bring it up on the next one after that. My name is Christopher. And I'm Philip Muscatello. This has it's been a pleasure. This has been Is This Shirt Slimming? When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.